0: So they said, the great old ones who lived ages before there were any men, and who came to the young world after the All right, everybody. Welcome to another Delta Green Operation Review. I'm Nate Lost in Time and Space, and I am joined with Hi, I'm Inkeeper Vase Odin from the Twisted Tentacle Inn. And today we're gonna to be reviewing Ex Oblivione.
1: Ooh, one of my favorite scenarios.
0: Yeah, this is definitely much different in tone, I feel, than a lot of the uh, a lot of the other scenarios that we talk about. Yeah,
1: yeah. This one is is one of those brutal ones that and you know, we'll get more into it, but uh, I really like how it develops. And it has a pretty distinct separation of the three acts, which is really cool. Um, but it's something I'll, I guess I'll talk about later when we get to spoilers. So, so yeah. So, <clears throat> ex oblivione is uh, its a Latin phrase. And I've tried looking it up. Have you tried looking up what it means? Uh, no. I know that there was a Lovecraft story by the same title. Yep. There was, and and it, I think it has nothing to do with this scenario. Like the story from Lovecraft isn't really kind, of, isn't really related to this one. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I couldn't find. So uh, clearly, oblivione is forgotten. It's very similar to the word in Spanish, which is olvidar, and so oblivione is forgotten. But X, it's how it's used in a sentence. It means different things. So. <laughs> So the X could mean away. It could mean long. It could mean a bunch of stuff. So for what, from what I gathered, it could either mean forgotten away, forgotten forever, or from oblivion, which is completely different than the other two. Um, but it's interesting because all those all those phrases kind of describe what this scenario is about. Um, so this one was written by Dennis Detwiller, which. He wrote my favorite Delta Green scenario, which is Night Floors. Um, and he he just has a knack for doing like really out there scenarios that are. And I feel like his are really extremely brutal for players mm-hmm. <laughs> compared to some other ones. So he's he's kind of an, an evil man when it comes to that. <laughs> uh, uh, but so, yeah, this one can be a little bit disturbing to some people. Um, which, you know, part of our descriptions also are going to deal with some of these more adult topics. So, parts of it deal with violence against children and infants. Animal cruelty is in there. There's some torture stuff, and there's a bit more. So, it's recommended, at least I recommend, that you talk to your players before running the scenario uh, about how they feel with these kinds of things because Delta Green can be. A little bit more tame or it can be extremely you know graphic uh, it just depends on your group and what you're comfortable with so definitely read over it before you introduce it to your players and talk about your with your players whether those are topics that they're comfortable with when you're playing it alright so anyways on to the scenario itself um, this one is set in Mustang, Arizona. I had never heard of Mustang, Arizona. Had you ever heard of it? No,
0: no, no. But it sounds like one of those very small desert towns in the middle of nowhere.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so that's exactly how it's described here. It's basically a desert town, a very small desert town. And pretty much life in the town revolves around a Marine Air Force base. Is it Marine or Naval, Naval Air Force base, right?
0: Um, yeah, so originally in the 1930s, there was a... Uh, naval medicine annex uh, in the town of Yuma which is like right nearby uh, that the whole town's economy was based out of so if you didn't work there you you were either married to somebody that worked there or um you know like you were you were involved somewhere with the
1: annex <laughs> to the military or the base yeah so um currently though it's close to Yuma Arizona and Both towns have like military ties and long histories of military ties. Um, The basic premise of this scenario is that a murder has occurred and right near the Yuma base and an entire family was brutally slain and there were ritualistic elements and it caught the eye of Delta Green. So then Delta Green sends in the agents to investigate the murders of the Aberle family. That's the name of the family and determine if there's some kind of unnatural incursion. incursion. Um, there's writing on the walls in blood from the victims, and it mentions Dagon and Yenethle. But there doesn't seem to be any kind of a motive or anything else. Um, and the victims range in age. It's, there's a young couple, a middle-aged couple, which are the parents of the, of the wife, an elderly woman who's the grandmother, and then there's an infant, and all of them are related, and they're all dead. So then the agents discover that, you know, throughout their investigation, the agents are going to discover that the history of the towns may somehow be connected to the murders and there's some kind of deeper evil that is involved. So what are your spoiler-free thoughts so far on this one?
0: Uh, Overall, I think that this, in kind of similar to Night Floors, has a very like three act structure to the way that this scenario is uh, intended to be run, which is really which is really cool. Uh, definitely makes it very dramatic. Um, I like the I always like the premise of murder investigations. it's an easy an easy way to rope players in. Uh, like you were saying though, the subject matter can be a bit touchy um, so just again throwing a warning for uh, for any potential handlers to definitely take caution with some of the things in the house Uh, other than that um without going into
1: spoilers uh i really like this scenario oh yeah it's it's my number four only because there's others that are so good night floors being my number one and then um uh, um observer effect is my number two and then visit is my number three so this is my number four only because those other ones are just so good too (laughs) But it's up there, man. It's so good. So, yeah, let's. Uh, should we go into like the, the story of what actually is going on and then kind of give our thoughts after? Yeah, yeah. All right. So, it all starts with Innsmouth in the 1930s. So, for those of you who haven't read The Shadow Over Innsmouth from H.P. Lovecraft, at the end of the story, there's a raid of the town of Insmith by the U.S. government. So Delta Green's history begins there. Uh, In actuality, in the game Delta Green, that's where Delta Green actually gets started because the government agency, which at the time was called P4, uh, basically they would eventually evolve and become Delta Green. So what they do is the surviving Deep Ones from Innsmouth were taken by P4 to different naval bases um, around the country, but then strange things started happening. You know, they, a lot of escape attempts and murders were occurring. So it was rampant enough that they decided to bring all the Deep Ones that they've taken from Insmith and put them all in one base, which was the Naval Medical Annex in Yuma, Arizona. So the Deep Ones uh, were experimented on. They were tortured and all that kind of stuff. Um, and eventually one of them escaped, and his name was Albert Marsh. And if you've read *The Shadow over Innsmouth*, then you're familiar with the Marsh family, uh, very prominent family in Innsmouth. So Albert Marsh was a grand priest, and he used hypergeometry, which is kind of like magic, to pretty much become incorporeal. How would you describe like what he?
0: Yeah, he. Um, so he was basically he was like trapped in a giant vat, uh, like a brine salt, uh, that thing. And he, he used hypergeometry to essentially like de-exist himself and then become like an, inc- like you were saying, like an, inc- like an inc- mm-hmm. incorporeal spirit that ends up possessing the whole town of Mustang. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He just becomes like a presence. Um, but it's, it's all, it's always there. And then eventually it goes away but then it comes back. And so through time, his presence will appear and he'll be conscious, but then time will take him away. He'll like dissipate into oblivion. And then a few years later, he'll come back again. And so these these blips of time where he'll disappear are getting greater and greater. So Albert Marsh starts feeling like eventually he is going to disappear forever. Like he'll become one with whatever the universe is. Um, who, like they don't really say, which is pretty cool because it's a big mystery of what actually ends up happening. Um, but he knows that before he's lost forever, he needs to really make his mark. And he, he's becoming more and more bold with his actions. Um, and so he's decided to get revenge on the ancestors of the people who caused him and the other Deep Ones harm. So he has become so powerful. Like you said, he possesses pretty much half the town. He can possess multiple people at once and he's been possessing people and committing like brutal crimes and stuff, uh, throughout the past few years. So then on June 2nd of, I think the year's 2019 in the scenario, I, I think it gives you an option, right? Like 2019 or 2020. Yep. Yep. So either way, whichever year you choose that it takes place on, um, On June 2nd, the murders happen of the Abril family. So basically, Albert Marsh possessed three children from Mustang, and they're the ones who murdered the entire family in Yuma. So then his plan is to possess half the town of Mustang, have them build, like, this effigy to Dagon, and out of, like, crude materials and stuff, just this big Dagon statue, and then have the possessed townsfolk kidnap the other half that's now possessed, and sacrifice them to Dagon on the summer solstice, so the longest day. The the solstice is the longest or the shortest day? The longest day. Yeah, Um, So then the agents arrive like a couple of days after the murders happen, and then their presence starts to pique the interest of Albert Marsh's spirit. Um, So they basically... um, A lot of information is detailed um, in the first section of the, of the scenario, which is the murder scene. So they have like a lot of different directions that they can take. And there's like enough evidence and information for them to kind of use all their skills like science, interviewing, crime scene, search and investigation. But, um, after they, they get deeper into the investigation of the murders, the agents are going to gather enough information to be inevitably led to the partially destroyed medical annex where the Deep Ones were being held. It's abandoned. It's destroyed. You know, homeless people and, like, drug addicts go in there, and it's there's, like, smell of urine and just, you know, BO in there. So, clearly, it's a completely abandoned facility. Half the roof is, like, caved in. But anyways, once they get in there, they start finding evidence that hints at Delta Green's past, and at some point, they're going to run into the three children who committed the murder right in the medical annex and then there's a confrontation there the three kids are going in there to sacrifice a cat (laughs) to Dagon or something like that um so then the confrontation with the children this one this scene is like crazy because that it's a really really difficult battle you guys had a tough time with it when when we played
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah to say the least um So, like, as a player, you have this kind of inclination, like, um, I should not attack them, they're children, but then they, they start to, like, try to take your weapons and shoot you, and, um, one of our characters had dynamite on him, so the, the, one of the kids tried to, like, take the stick of dynamite and light it, it just, it turns into a mess very quickly, because your character's try to obey the law as much as possible, because depending on whether they're sent there through the program or sent there as the outlaws, their cover is not very, um, it's not very firm, so they can't really, you know, they don't wanna be breaking the law. And if they're found murdering children, um, yeah, things are gonna go south pretty quickly. Yeah, so you
1: have to somehow manage like not killing them, but at the same time, they're really, they're stronger than, they're inhumanly strong. And they're really super coordinated because they're all being controlled by Marsh. So they fight. The the book describes it like they're really well coordinated. They have bonuses to their combat skills because of it. So it makes it for such a tough fight. I mean, it's... It's pretty bad. Uh, I think one of you guys almost died. You got shot by another, <laughs> by another one. Yeah, you're insane. Yeah, I think it was if
0: brother Geo's <laughs> character ended up getting shot.
1: Yeah, <laughs> in the head or something like that. And oh my god! And then, um, so then, while you're fighting these kids, Marsh, is who's controlling them, reads the minds of the agents, and at that point, he realizes that they're part of the organization that imprisoned and tortured him. So now not only does he want to get revenge on the town, but now it's like this opportunity that just kind of presented itself to him for the ultimate revenge because you guys or you guys, the agents represent the, the people that he really truly hates because they're the ones who imprisoned him. So he, he concocts a plan to get back and include them in his big plot for revenge. So, the agents, as they continue their investigation, they're gonna f- make their way to Mustang because that's where the children are from. so the the agents uh, kind of follow the trail that way. And when they get there, all hell breaks loose. and basically, they have to pretty much face half the town in a massive gunfight in the middle of the streets. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And if that wasn't bad enough, they they also find out that some of their bonds, their family members, their friends, they've been kidnapped by Marsh, who has used his little, you know, his uh, puppet townsfolk to go fly out to wherever part of the country they're in, kidnap them and bring them back to be sacrificed along with the other half of the townspeople in the solstice. So the agents have their hands full because not only do they have to fight half the town, but they have to find a way to rescue their friends and family. So um, at that point, it just becomes a real brutal fight for survival. And the the scenario takes a complete turn where you're pretty much as an agent having to make a decision. Do you leave your people and try to survive or do you... Stay and fight, which you pretty much have like a 99% chance that you're not going to make it out alive. So that is pretty much the just kind of the summary of it. So now with that said, uh, thoughts overall on that?
0: Uh, I really like the the very dramatic ending of this scenario. It gives the players a lot of motivation to To try to find a way to either rescue their bonds or complete the mission in some way, and it it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like it's ham fisted into the scenario. I know, like some some like uh, Call of Cthulhu adventures, the ending can kind of feel forced, where you like have this ultimate confrontation. But uh, with with Albert Marsh, you can kind of go in uh, a lot of different ways because he can possess half the town, and you could. You know, potentially, like you could have one of the agents kidnapped, and maybe they're, maybe the other agents are trying to rescue that uh, that agent, while the agent inside is trying to rescue their family members or something like that. Like, there's a lot of cool things that you can try to do at the end of the scenario. Uh, That being said, Albert Marsh is, I think, kind of a probably on purpose. He's very, he's very tough to pin down. So I feel like as a player it can be tough to really know what's going on and you just kind of feel like
1: these people are like nuts. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's the thing that makes it, I, I put that in my neutral. Um, but yeah, it's, it is very difficult to manage it uh, properly and still convey what's happening. If the agents for whatever reason don't catch some of the hints that, that you leave for them I think I I agree with you. I really, really enjoyed the scenario. Clearly it's my number four favorite one, but, uh, the, like you said, the way it devolves, uh, into just this fight for survival at the end, it's so well done. Like you mentioned, it doesn't feel forced. It feels great because the agents are kind of in a moral, they're put into a moral position of, well, this person is talking to me. Let's say they get pulled over by the police. Um, are they possessed? Are they one of the people involved in this conspiracy? Or is it really a police officer who's suspicious? And what do you do? You know, do you take a chance and kill them <laughs> or, you know, continue onward and try to, try to talk your way out of the situation? Like it's, it's really well done, but, um but yeah, so with, uh, with the overall feeling of the of the scenario uh, for me, I guess I'll start with the investigative part, the beginning, the murder, the murder mystery. I, I really like how they've laid it out. Um, the scenario does enough and gives you enough where pretty much any agent can use some sort of skill to help with the investigation initially. There's like science, there's investigative, there's social skill use there's a lot there and so it it makes every agent feel like they're useful and helpful which I think with so many skills being you know in the game being available for your agent to have it's sometimes easy for a scenario to forget about that and, and make an agent feel like well there's not much that I can do because I'm you know I'm a cop and this scenario is all about science or something like that you know whereas in this scenario there's enough there for anyone to feel like they're like they're useful. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You can, you can, uh, interview, uh, witnesses, you can investigate the home. There's, um, you know, there's forensics that you could, you could take care of. Uh, as far as the beginning, I really enjoy the, uh, the beginning part where you go to the April house and you investigate and you find the, um, uh, kind of a trigger warning here. When you go into the, the, the baby's room and you find the nanny cam
1: oh, oh, oh god yeah
0: that that scene i remember when we were playing that 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 scene in my, in particular really stood out to me it's like holy shit this game is fucked yeah. up
1: oh man that scene is crazy and the fact that they don't see it live they just see a recording of it is even more creepy for sure
0: <laughs> yeah yeah uh, uh, so so the nanny cam is, it's like a little teddy bear that has a camera inside of it. And the bear, you find the bear completely covered in blood. And um, I remember there's five clips in total and each one, like, there's a couple of normal ones that date back from like, in know, two months prior. And then you get to the actual last clip and you just see these poor family just get brutally murdered. Yeah,
1: specifically the infant, I think is what it catches, mm-hmm. like how the, the infant is murdered. And yeah, it's so it's awesome because it builds up so nice because you as you're telling the players like clip one, it's the the mom setting up the camera. She doesn't know how to work it. So it records her by mistake and it seems pretty innocent. <laughs> and then as you're giving more like information on each clip, it's just getting like, oh, like it's building the tension. It's so good. It's so well done. Yeah. that. So the murder scene is great. I really like you like you. I love the investigative, the murder mystery investigation part of it. Mostly I because I studied forensics, it really interests me how well Delta Green does it and handles it, you know? I think one one good part about
0: that scene, too, is it really gives, like... It gives the players, like, a clear sense of the stakes. Like, these people were brutally murdered, you know? Like, I think any player feels a moral obligation to, you know, bring, bring those people to justice. Yep. Yeah. So... Um mm-hmm. yeah, like kind of right from the get-go you know that this is going to be a very violent brutal scenario. Yeah
1: and then as as usual they never they don't pull punches in this. Um so then um any other thoughts on act 1 on the investigation part? Uh,
0: no, um just kind of again like what you were saying there's a lot of avenues that you can go between like actually investigating this, the crime scene and the eyewitnesses and going to the police station and looking at the autopsies and things like that. It gives, I like that this scenario gives the players a lot of options to come to the same conclusions. Yep,
1: yep, and that's the cool part because no matter which way they go, they're eventually going to be led into this medical annex, which is Act 2. And the medical annex is where things start to really open the agent's eyes because there they can... On their own, they can probably try and do some research on it and start to find out a little bit, not too much. They don't give them too much, and the program stops them from going too far into the research. But I think they can put a few pieces together, especially when they find the empty tanks, and then you know they interview some of the survivors that are still, they're in their 90s or whatever, but some of the people that work there, and they hear little bits and pieces from them about what's going on. Like it's... It's really cool because this kind of starts to open up from a murder mystery into, okay, there's some deeper conspiracy that happened a really long time ago. And then the agents, it doesn't yet connect everything. So the agents are like, but what does it have to do? It clearly to the agents, something is connected with this medical annex, but they don't get there yet. They don't get to know that yet. And, but it's, it's information regarding Delta Green itself. And, you know, all this, all the atrocities that the program did to these, to these creatures. So you get a few hints of that. And I think that's really cool. And then act two culminates in the, in the battle with the kids, which.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Which can, can probably honestly kill agents if you're not careful.
1: Yeah. It could end right there. It could definitely end right there. Um, But it's. I think that's well done too. the, the annex, the description of how rundown it is, how old it is, the leftovers from, from back so long ago, it's been forgotten as well. Um, the smells that are described and the graffiti on the walls that are, that are described in the annex. It's really interesting. And then it gives, it gives avenues for, for the agents to search stuff online or go into government databases even if they have certain bonds that work for certain departments, they can get a little bit of information from them too.
0: Um, so one thing that I is kind of in my neutral for for this part is the graffiti that they find on on some of the uh, interior walls that say like Dagon and Hydra and Yeneth uh, My my only criticism for this is that I feel like once a more astute like Lovecraft fan or Arkham fan or uh, you know, just like weird fiction fan like hears that, they're gonna kinda know what's going on immediately from a like I don't think it's the fault of the the scenario. I think it's more just like just kinda how our brains work. But I feel like once once you hear that it kinda clues you in into what's going on.
1: Yeah, totally. I, I, I agree with you on that. That that's the thing with some of these um there's if you've read certain Lovecraft stories, there are things that you'll recognize and instantly piece together. And it could play out in a couple of ways. For some people, it could be nostalgic, like, oh, that's cool. But for some people, it could be like, oh, I know what's going on. And then it, it kind of almost ruins it a little bit for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm totally with you on that. There's a few scenarios that do that. There's one that we played recently that's going to go up hopefully by December, <laughs> sometime in December, um, and it's called From the Dust. And it's very much connected to the story, kind of in the way that this is connected to Insmith, but even more so uh, from the dust is connected to um, uh, the red. What's that one? Murder at Red Hook or to Terror at Red mm. Hook? Um, yeah. And, and if you've read that story, then it's like, oh, everything about it, it's like you'll know kind of what's going on before it's revealed to you. You know, but, but, anyways, I I totally agree with you on that. Um, But overall, yeah, I think, I think it's, it leads to, it's, if, if you're the type of person where it's just nostalgia or if you've never read the Lovecraft story, then the middle part, the second act, can be some really cool uh, description and kind of backstory for the agents to discover on their own. Um, Yeah. So, then we go to Act Three. So after the the kids, oh, and the kids, yeah, one last thing. So the kids, if you capture them, eventually they're going to go catatonic and they're going to try to kill themselves because Marsh doesn't want them talking. So that that can be again a point of of um, uncomfortable descriptions that you may have to (laughs) deliver to your players. So that's something something to think about. But the kids are from Mustang and that's where the agents eventually are led. Mustang is not too far from the medical annex. And since the kids live there, agents will most likely go to Mustang to try and find their families and try to talk to their families to find out why these kids did what they did. And there is where things start to go. downhill yeah
0: very quickly uh when they, when the agents first get there you know it's just kind of business as usual um i remember when we were playing we we stopped by uh the the diner or what have you i forget it yeah the uh the indian head diner we stopped by there and just grabbed lunch and everything seemed normal and then we started you know poking poking around and asking questions and things very quickly <laughs> uh very quickly started to go haywire for us um yeah so, so yeah, when the agents get there, you know, they start poking around and asking questions, whether it's, um, looking for the kids' parents or, you know, if they find, um, if they find some connection to the annex another way, um, they're eventually going to be led here and things go very, very poorly for them, uh, as the half the town is possessed by, uh, by Albert Marsh and they just, start to go very aggressive towards the players.
1: Yeah, and the book it does a really good job for Act 3 where they they outline all sorts of different events that can happen. And it's the book is also clear in telling you not to use all of these events because you can overwhelm the players uh, if you do too much. So it just gives you ideas of things that they can experience while they're in Mustang and different events that can happen like posses, you know, walking around with with rifles and shotguns. Um, there's different things. Um, let me see. They can, they can find people watching them or wolves watching them. Uh, they can have car trouble. Like when they go inside a building to interview people, they can come back out and suddenly their tires have been messed with. And, you know, things like that that, that occur that are going to really signal to the agents that something is afoot in the town and it's more than just one person. Um, and then as, as things get closer to the, to the solstice, then, you know, the, the townsfolk are going to go in the ones that are possessed. They're going to go into this abandoned theater, pull out the effigy they've been building into the middle of the street, light a bonfire around it, and then just start sacrificing the other half of the town that, um, <laughs> that is not possessed. And the end as, as long with the bonds and the friends and family of the agents, And that's where it could lead into a really nasty gun battle. And
0: (laughs) it certainly did in our case.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) and this is the thing where it makes it really difficult because if the agents figure out that their family and friends are in the theater before the effigy is brought out, they have a slightly better chance of rescuing them with a little less um, resistance because there's not going to be as many people in the theater that are possessed are going to be fighting against them. Plus it's, you know, close quarters, so it's going to be a little bit easier for the agents who are used to doing these kind of operations. Once that effigy is brought outdoors in the middle of the street, now you've got crowds of people and mobs of people with guns and rifles and it becomes really difficult to rescue anybody. So if there's an agent that's been captured or one of their bonds, I mean it's it's a very slim chance of survival once that once that ha- happens. And really, just as, as posses are walking around in the middle of the streets and there's um, groups of people that are just shooting at the agents, I mean, at this point, those people are going to try and capture the agents, injure them, capture them so they can properly sacrifice them. But if the agent is fighting too much, they will kill the agent and not have a problem with it. <laughs> so it's super, super easy because Delta Green already has a very deadly combat system. It's super easy to have everybody die at the end of this. Very, very easy. Mm,
0: very easy. Um, and the, the other thing too, is like, well, you might be listening to this and say, oh, well, why don't they just call for help? You know, why don't they call it backup? And, it's, um, I mean, one, that would take, you know, a long time to assemble and the, uh, the ritual isn't very long. Uh, two, um, the scenario actually gives you a little blurb about that, and it says that agents that are fool enough uh, foolish enough to call in reinforcements find that they end up just with more blood on their hands as as all the the lone uh, police officers and custom officials and things like that, they just get gunned down as soon as they show up yep. in town.
1: yeah, there's so. three hundred. it's just over three hundred townsfolk that are being controlled at the same time. So it's not an easy thing to deal with at all. Um, yeah, so uh, I guess with all that said, I guess uh, I'm gonna do like we did last time, where we just do the good and then the neutral, and then the bad. Mm-hmm. Cool. So for the good, what do you have for the good?
0: I mean, we kind of alluded to it earlier, but I really like the 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 ending where you can just go into a complete shit show. Uh, I, as a player, that was the most fun of the scenario for me was just like it just turns into a complete shit show and you like you're really kind of forced to like try to figure a way out even though there probably isn't
1: one yeah your uh, spoiler alert your agent was riddled with over 20 bullets (laughs) (laughs) as he was driving the, the rest of the team out in the van he like just was driving and was just riddled with bullets as
0: I well, I was like, yeah, I was trying to crash into the effigy in the center of the town.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. You try to knock down the effigy with the van. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think it was JP. Someone else uh, was in a different part of town and got snipered in the head and survived by pure luck. He had, well, not luck. He had the Kevlar helmet, which was enough to save his life. He, he was left with one health point left, and clearly he still had permanent damage to his skull. But he survived because of the Kevlar helmet. Otherwise, he would have been shot in the head and killed. <laughs> so it was it was going downhill pretty quickly. Uh, so I liked I definitely like that. I liked the we talked about this a few times. The very clear and clean three act structure of the scenario um, is for me. It's a lot of fun to. To do a scenario like that, not always, but in this one it works really well because it feels like you're part of a movie, uh, and it and you see actual development of the story as it as it goes through.
0: It also makes it. Um, I was sorry. I was just going to say it makes it like very easy to understand how to run it from a handler's perspective.
1: Definitely, you know,
0: like 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 you know where the story should be going, so y- you can you know if things like kind of get sidetracked, it's very easy to find yourself, like, uh, able to easily redirect the players in the direction you want them to go in.
1: Yeah, and it gives this feeling of unraveling madness for the players because it feels like agents have things under control when they get there because they're the ones, you know, with the credentials and they're investigating this and they're solving things. But then quickly it feels like they have less and less control and eventually they're just left with just a primal struggle. You know for their own survival <laughs> and, and things have slipped out of their control completely by the end which is pretty cool um, I like the history of the medical annex um, it's it was done so well I loved it uh, the the history of the annex is sad you know it's um, even though like clearly the deep ones are evil it shows also the dark side of Delta Green and how far humanity is willing to go to protect their species from these, like, unnatural threats to the extent that they themselves become kind of, like, worse monsters than the monsters that they're trying to fight against. Yeah, this feels very X-Files to me in a good way. Yes, yes. I can see that, too. (laughs) You have this X-Files kick that you've been getting.
0: I'm a huge fan, what can I say? Yeah, it's a great (laughs) show. Yeah, I, li- I like that part, too. And I also, you know, again, kind of looping back around to the beginning, like I like the murder investigation and I really like the scene. And um, when the investigators eventually look at the footage in the nanny cam, I think that really uh, kind of gives a good a good indication of where the scenario is going to go.
1: Yeah, exactly. And the use of the kids, now that you mentioned the nanny cam, the use of the kids makes it so terrifying. Like it. It really shows just how evil Marsh is Um, and and his motivations like he's just got this real selfish motivation of like uninhibited revenge, (laughs) you know, uh, this need for revenge. And it just makes him so terrifying because he's willing to do anything, including use kids to fulfill his dark deeds, you know, and so that's that's done really well. Um, The events in Mustang when they spiral out of control, I think that was done. Fantastic. I love that they give you all these different ideas that you can use while the while the characters are in Mustang. Um, and, and the art. I love the art because there's a few pieces by Dennis uh, where during the firefight in the town, he's got a one art piece there with the agents kind of running and fire all over the street. It just conveys such a perfect image and really allowed me at least to kind of envision everything that was happening all right so what about what about the neutral for you vase um my biggest neutral is i just have one it's that it could be kind of hard for the players to discover the truth about albert marsh and you know what's really going on it's one thing it's i think like a lot of delta green scenarios have a bit of difficulty working out uh it's For players, I feel like it'd be more enjoyable if they know everything, like the background, the lore, the full workings after the game, like of what's going on. So I have a policy. I'd like to go over everything and explain to the players exactly what was happening behind the scenes after the game's over so that they can get the full picture. So I feel like if you're running this, um, you may want to really kind of assess as you're playing the scenario to kind of assess how much your players have figured out, how much they know, and maybe feed them a little more so that they kind of start seeing exactly what's happening. That's the only neutral that I have. What about you?
0: Um, My only neutral is actually Marsh himself. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of this, like, incorporeal spirit thing that kind of possesses half the town. It feels a little too... I, I don't know. It feels a little too D and D to me sometimes. I, I could see that. I could totally um, see that. I I, I think it's a, a very easy workaround, which is why it's not a negative for me. Like I think you could actually just have Marsh be alive, and have him be like, uh, maybe he's some sort of like religious zealot type that you know kind of converts half the town into the you know into this like cult of Dagon or whatever.
1: Yeah. I could see that, um, but his his biggest motivation for doing this now is because he's going to disappear into nothingness. So how would you handle that if if you have him like still be alive, let's say?
0: Um, I mean, you could have him be like terminally ill, or maybe you could have him um, like permanently transforming or something like that into a
1: full deep one. Okay, yeah, that, I guess that that does work.
0: You know, I, I think there's like a, it's a pretty easy workaround. I think so, which is why I didn't put it in the negative. But yeah, I. I'm just not the biggest fan of that explanation. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it'd be easier, like, um, to say that Marsh maybe, I don't know, maybe he bribed somebody or maybe he, uh, like, um, you know, persuaded somebody to open his vat for him.
1: Right. So he escapes that way, so he still has a body. Like, one, maybe one of the surviving or, or even one of the... People who are no longer alive or whatever, but some people knew about it. Like I could, I could totally see um, that working within the confines of the scenario without changing too much. But I, now that you mention it, I hadn't even thought of it. Uh, but yeah, it does jump over into more fantasy than horror when you do this spirit thing. I could totally see that. And
0: it's like I, I, that's just me personally, and I think it'd be pretty easy to to change that if you wanted to. So that was my only neutral. Uh, Did you have any negatives?
1: I do. I just have two. Um, So the first one is kind of a pacing thing. It's hard. I mean, I, I totally can... Maybe I should put this in the neutral, actually. But it's... So the scenario recommends that you start on June 6th. The agents arrive. The murders happen on June 2nd. The agents arrive on June 6th. And the ritual then takes place on the solstice, which it says is, I think, the 19th or the 20th. So you have like pretty much two weeks to, before things start to go downhill. Um, both times that I have run this scenario, I had the agents arrive way later and closer to the solstice, like around the 10th or the 11th. Because most players kind of make their way to Yuma much more quickly than, than the adventure anticipates, I feel. So like as a handler, you have to pace the investigation to make sure the ritual occurs close to the time that they get, you know, that the agents are getting closer to uncovering the truth. Um, clearly in real life, an investigation like this will probably take even longer than just two weeks. But given that the operation and, you know, it, it is a game, I think that depending on the group, things are going to unravel much more quickly. So one thing I'd recommend is for handlers to kind of play this by ear to keep the story moving. So if the agents kind of uncover everything that they can regarding the murder and they haven't made their way to the annex yet, kind of nudge them, you know? But at the same time, if they've done all that in one day and they still have like 13 more days before the solstice, maybe summarize and say that all this stuff took place over several days, you know, Uh, like skip days is what I'm trying to say, trying to get to because you want to make it where they get to Mustang right around the maybe a day or two before the solstice. Because if they get there a week before the solstice or 10 days before the solstice, it you know, what do they do for 10 days at that point? They're not just going to sit around and do nothing and then stuff. Happens, right. Right. You know, anyways, that, that's my, that I, I'm going to move that to neutral. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. Uh, so we'll go, we'll start with your bads. And then if you have any, as far as like bad stuff, um,
0: I don't, honestly, I don't really have any, like, bad things. I think this is a pretty pretty good scenario overall. Um, I, one thing that I kind of start going back to the things I like, I like that this scenario gives you uh, a clear distinction on how the program and the outlaws would go about sending the agents in to do this particular scenario.
1: That's a really good point. Because not a lot of the scenarios in Delta Green... Um, they kind of forget about the outlaws sometimes. Mm-hmm. Or they don't really explain like how they would handle things. So yeah, that's, that's a good point. So I guess like a thing I don't
0: like is that more scenarios don't
1: do that? <laughs> Fair enough. So not don't like about this scenario, but don't like about others.
0: Yeah, I guess. Um, I guess like as a player the ending can be frustrating
1: just because it feels so difficult and so hopeless. You know, that's what I wrote as my bad, (laughs) same exact thing. So that's the only bad negative I have about it. It's like you said, it, it can feel extremely hopeless. It's very easy for all the agents to die horribly. And, and, you know, especially if they don't know what they're getting themselves into. So both times when I ran this, it came really close to a full party kill, both times, uh, and by some pure, you know, stroke of luck, some people survived. So, it's not necessarily that that's bad on its own, but I think that if the if the players kind of get the feeling that they don't even stand a chance, they can find it unfun, even if it's a horror game and they know they might die. Like, that's fine, but you have to at least give them a bit of a chance to survive. So they need to feel like they at least, if they died, it's because of a decision that they made or a bad luck, but they still had that one chance of surviving the thing. And this scenario definitely has the potential to take that away from them and make it feel like they don't. So as a handler, I I would highly recommend that you formulate a way for them to at least feel like they can get out or can get away and if they choose to die they do or if they try to get away they you know they still can die or whatever but at least they have a chance you know
0: yeah i think like it's part of what makes the ending good but i think it's also part of what makes the ending bad like as a handler it's really cool that the players can end up in this situation like regardless of how they go through the scenario but as a player, since it kind of comes up, like all of a sudden at the end of the scenario, it feels, it can feel frustrating because like you, like we were saying, it doesn't really feel like you have any like chance. So I think a way to rectify that as a handler is to, to make sure that the players have an opportunity to like create some sort of out or like have a goal in mind when they go back into Mustang. Like I remember in our game, we had a couple of players as bonds get kidnapped. And we,, um, you know, like the half the town was on fire. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the, the ritual was starting to go on. and we we ended up having somebody like sit in a in a vehicle like on a hill that out that could uh, overlook the town, doing like some surveillance. And then we sent in like a team to go do uh, like a rescue mission for the for the players' bonds. And I think that that was a good way of going about it. But I I could see a situation where a handler kind of throws this at them all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it can feel frustrating. Yeah. Especially, like, if if your agent, like, lives, like, all the way across the country. And somehow in, like, a day and a half, they've kidnapped, like, half your family. (laughs) It's like, what the fuck? How did that even happen? (laughs) Uh,
1: For sure. Yeah, the other game game that I ran this um, for... Um, it was for my d d group And they're a little bit more like gung-ho <laughs> About things because they're D&D players So they um, When they got to the town The police pulled them over And they were possessed So they let the police Like pull one of them Into the police vehicle And they got driv- They like hauled ass into the town the, the cop car along with the prisoner And took them into the theater And the other players didn't find them until they were sacrificed. And oh, yeah, my it, was, it went pretty bad. And so they, they lost like half their team or more than half their team. I think one or two people survived. But um, because it was my first time running it, I didn't realize this whole thing that we're talking about, the helplessness. And so I just try to make it difficult, but they're used to fighting their way out of things. And when you have posses of townspeople shooting at them, like they they were killed like in seconds, you know? <laughs> and then by the time they realized, right, we're in over our heads, we need to get out of here. It was it was very, very like I think they they were slightly frustrated at the end of it. They enjoyed the scenario overall, and then at the end when I explained everything, they enjoyed it. But during the during the moments, they were very, very frustrated. Like there was nothing they could do. Uh, with certain things like the one guy that got kidnapped by the police right in front of the other people's eyes like they didn't realize that was going to happen
0: Right, and, right And
1: and that was it and I'm like, oh, I felt like bad afterwards. I'm like, maybe I shouldn't have done it that way, but It's those little things because it's so open to all the things that can happen That it's very easy to frustrate your players if you're not careful, so Definitely uh, heed that warning if you're going to run this uh, for the first time. Yeah, I think one
0: one good tip, too, is um, you know, once once the mobs of people, like, with guns and pitchforks and torches and everything, like, start chasing after them, I would have the players start having having them make sanity checks. That's a great idea. Use the sanity
1: roll. And, and, like, I
0: think that, like, once they start to roll the tithe, that that to them, like, starts to trigger in their brain, like, oh, shit, something bad's gonna happen.
1: Really good idea. Use it to your advantage. Use the use the mechanics of sanity to strike true fear in them. So yeah. <laughs> they, so then they flip that switch in their head, like, okay, time to shift tactics and then go from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that idea. Um, cool, man. Well, uh, we've been going longer than we usually do for these reviews, but uh, this is just such a good scenario. I could talk about it for forever. Um, any other final closing thoughts? Uh,
0: I mean, overall like i said earlier i really enjoyed uh ex oblivione i thought it was a really fun scenario to play and i think with just a couple minor tweaks to things uh particularly to uh, the way albert marsh is i think you could have a really fun scenario that players uh have a (laughs) like my character have a very dramatic ending but still have it feel very satisfying
1: yep i'm with you i this is so highly rated in my book. Definitely recommend you play this if you're into Delta Green. And this one, you know, we've talked about some of, like, Lover in the Ice not being for new players for sure. This one, I think, uh, the way it's l- laid out in the book is well done enough that even a new handler can can handle this pretty well. The ending might be a little bit tougher to handle. It's definitely
0: a good one-shot
1: game. Definitely, yeah, yeah. So I think even a newer... Handler, maybe someone with game mastering experience, even if it's their first Delta Green scenario, with a little bit of game mastering experience, you can run this as your first Delta Green scenario and be okay. Yeah,
0: definitely. I would agree with that. And as a newer player, I don't think... I, I think the, the basic premise of a murder investigation is very easy to get your mind yes, around. Yes, so, yes. So I think as a new player, it's pretty easy to sink your teeth into as well.
1: So this one comes highly recommended by The Great Old Ones. Uh, you can find ex Oblivioni right now on the dm's guild and on um wait drive-through rpg sorry drive-through rpg yeah. <laughs> not dm's guild um on drive rpg you can get the digital copy you can also buy the physical copy which i own from uh directly from art dream publishing or drive rpg and you're you can actually wait until black sites is released because this scenario, along with Lover in the Ice and a few others that we'll be reviewing over the next few weeks, will all be contained in the one book called Black Sights that is releasing in January? February. 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 Yeah. But you can buy Black Sights, the digital copy, uh, starting in December. So if if you wanted to get your hands on it more quickly, you totally can get the digital copy. And if you buy a physical copy from Arc Dream Publishing... They send you the digital copy as well, which is awesome. That's really nice that they do that. All right, guys. Um, well, thank you for joining us for this review. And um, yeah, I guess uh, I guess that's where we'll end it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we we'll ju- just end it like yep, that. Just end <laughs> uh, I'm Innkeeper Vase Odin from the Tis Authentical Inn. And uh, with me was I'm Nate Lost in Time and Space. And we'll see you all in the
0: next review.